There's no problem too big or small, no issue too hot or cold, and no subject these gentlemen won't talk about. Let's head into the lab to see what they're working to figure out today. Let's get into it and get down to it. Welcome to Figure It Out. This is George Grombacher. Joining me, as always, is Centauri Miner. Hello, folks. Helping us move from awareness to action today is Troy Potgun, the co-founder of Narwhal Stories, a content production company. Welcome, Troy. Thank you. Thanks for having me, guys. So, Centauri, have you ever read 100 books or watched 100 movies in a year? 100 movies, for sure. Um, books? Me? Nope. Can't say that I have. <laughs> I was like, maybe in college? Nope, nope. That's not true. How about you, Troy? Uh, well, I thought I had done that in 2012, <laughs> and then my wife, unbeknownst to me, was documenting every story, <laughs> and uh, I did not get anywhere near 100. Uh, it was in the 60s, which isn't bad, but uh, and I definitely got over the 100 mark on the movies, but yes, I'm a, I'm a, uh, a big fan of pop culture, so I, I consider it all research, but I fell woefully short in my own ex- uh, estimation. Got it. I, I was I was on I was on your website a little earlier today, and I saw that that your wife called you out because apparently you were saying that you consistently watch a hundred movies and read a hundred books, and she behind the scenes was keeping tabs. So sneaky, sneaky, <laughs> sneaky, sneaky. I can count on my wife to uh, to keep me in check as well when need be. So excellent. Well, Troy, we'd love to hear about your career path and how you found yourself doing what you're doing now. Excellent. Well, thank you. Uh, so I started uh, work as a business uh, major doing systems consulting in D.C. and Chicago, and I quickly realized it was uh, not my passion. It was kind of sucking my will to live, and I started joking I'd take half my salary to do something I loved, um, and I realized it wasn't a joke. Um, the thing was, I didn't know exactly what that thing was. I had friends who were CPAs, teachers, bakers. I was jealous of all of them just because they found their thing. Not that I wanted to be any of those things, but uh, I had moved to Miami uh, just to, for a job scenery change and walked into what used to be a church on a lunch break in South Beach and turned out it was an ad school. And all the improv classes, uh, I, did, I did Second City in Chicago, uh, I'd done sitcom writing classes, film studies, suddenly it all made sense and I, I knew I wanted to do copywriting. So I did two years there, um, worked my first jobs in Los Angeles and then uh, met my wife while I was out there uh, who was from Phoenix and coincidentally my parents had moved out here a couple of years prior and that pulled me to Phoenix and was able to get on as a copywriter at a large Phoenix-based agency and uh, was there 14 years as a copywriter, then uh, creative director of the last four. Um, I decided to start Narwhal Stories um, by after realizing that uh, so much of the content that we consume on our tablets and devices is, is video and that there's a need for good uh, national quality production at more local uh, budgets. And I knew that I could do that, uh, particularly with the two co-founders, uh, 
Josh Castleman and Nathan Blackwell, uh, who were two area directors born and raised in the Valley. And um, we had collaborated on several commercial projects that went very, very successfully. A lot of fun on set, clients very happy, budget friendly, um, sometimes half of what a LA-based production would have cost us. And we realized we were onto something and, and, uh, and we decided to formalize that with normal stories. Excellent. Is there a particular industry that you think you'll target or? Um, we are, uh, so a big part of my passion is, is helping mission-driven organizations and nonprofits. Um, I've been fortunate to do Valley Leadership this year, uh, which is for emerging and existing uh, leaders in the nonprofit, uh, for-profit, uh, education, healthcare. Uh, political sectors. And um, part of this is uh, a response to their needs for branded content, whether it's web video or uh, social uh, posts, and knowing that I could could respond to that. So um, that's a big piece of it. Of course, we'll do for-profit work and um, we'll need to work out sort of what that magic mix is between for-profit and non-profit so that we can obviously stay profitable and, and continue to serve uh, more and more clients. But um, but it, the, the heart is really, you know, uh, where all of this started and it's and it's responding to those uh, mission-driven orgs and individuals that I want to help. Excellent. Troy, you talk about, um, I'm curious to, because your whole piece and your whole niche is on um, video, but talk to us about the efficacy or the, the thoughts behind why video, why is that becoming so important? And then the counter argument that many people are saying that content, um, they're moving away from video because they want more, more people want the written word and to read more. So talk a little bit more about just the industry as a whole. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it ebbs and flows. Um, the I think the rise in video was in part due to the low barrier to entry that came about with we all have cameras on our phones and um, anybody can start a YouTube channel and post uh, post content on Facebook Live or what have you. And so that that contributed to the rise of video. There's probably a natural recession back to sort of more organic consumption of of content, but I think at the heart of it is uh, great stories, and uh, a well-told story uh, can be around the campfire. It can be in a movie. It can be in a blog post. It can be in a novel. So um, I don't stress about the medium as much. I'm also sort of in a position where, as a writer of all of those things, and then some. Um, I will, you know, help you tell the story, your story, and if that evolves to a uh, to a video or a long form sort of branded content series, which is really what's in Narwhal's future, I think, and in, in our wheelhouse, then we can easily, you know, raise it to that level. Um, but at the heart, it's about you know, telling those, uh, telling those great stories in whatever ways your particular audiences want to engage. So, um, we know 90% of all content next year on our devices will be, uh, that are being consumed will be video. So it's not going anywhere, but it's certainly not the only medium that, that I or Narwhal will focus on. Got it. And I couldn't agree more. The power of a story is, is undeniable and, with that in mind, would love to hear 
the three biggest things that you've learned over the past three years? So it's kind of like your story, I suppose. Yeah. Oh, that's a great question. Um, I, you know, I, the first thing I would say is uh, it's okay to give yourself permission to ask what if. And that's the little story that I, that I say is we all have a brain and each of our brains are wired in our own, in its own way and uniquely for us. And I, I think if we're humble enough to acknowledge that, however, we're using it now, right now in your professional life, in your personal life, in your passions, in your hobbies, that there are other applications, not necessarily better ones, um, but there are certainly more. And um, to have confidence in that brain and that in your style of thinking. So if you're an engineer and you're applying it to build technical schematics for for a device, um, you, that engineering brain could also help a nonprofit um, think about their the way that they're delivering their services in a different way. And so um, that's been really important because I think there's a tendency, um, even as you know, as confident as I can be in the ideas that I'm presenting. I found that my own confidence in my abilities um, and their transferability to other uh, to other industries and to other uh, missions and organizations was not there. And it took me a while to really get over that. Um, what I'm doing for the purpose, you know, as a creative director, as a writer in advertising can be applied in many ways and is valuable in many ways. And it's okay to ask um, what if and, and apply your style of thinking to other uh, organizations to other problems. The second thing I would say is remember the answer is always no if you don't ask. And um, I think, you know, even the way that Centauri and I met um, and, uh, you know, the way I've been able to connect with more people in the community as I've discovered through Valley Leadership just how many people are and mission-driven organizations are out in service of this valley and the state and and how many gaps there really are to be filled. And um, you know, so my, the advice, one of the things I've learned is don't be afraid to reach out. We're naturally curious people and the good ones of us will get excited by each other's curious curiosity and look for ways to help. And that's certainly how I felt the response from Centauri when he and I met. And so I encourage people to t tap into that positivity and that curiosity. And then lastly, I think relating back to what I just said is, it really takes a village to to um, to do the things that um, are necessary for this state to to thrive and the people in it to uh, be supported. And I've been really humbled by by uh, uh, organizations like Valley Leadership or um, Seed Spot that just how many great people and organizations it takes to fill those gaps and how many people there are ready to help when you're. Um, ready to join their ranks and do your thing in your own way. Excellent. I totally agree. And I think that most people that we have the opportunity to speak with on this show all stress the importance of probably all those things, but certainly the importance and the value of having a strong community and, and relying and, uh, and helping the other people in the community. So I yeah. appreciate that. So, well, certainly mission purpose driven organizations like nonprofits have inherently great stories to tell but if they're not able to articulate it or tell that great story 
then they're not going to be able to successfully do their work. So, and maybe I just answered my own question, but what what would you say is the risk to a nonprofit of not carefully tailoring tailoring their story? Um, I. Th- I, I, I think the risk in not telling your story well is that it diminishes the impacts that you could have. Um, I've run across several organizations that, uh, let's use the you know, video content as an example. They have a, uh, an overall sort of brand video that rests at the top, you know, or above the scroll, uh, on their website. And it's, um, it's saying the what, but it's not necessarily um, saying the why and and a tailored why to the audiences um, that they're that they're interested in engaging. And let's you know, let's just use um, you know a, any uh, let's use a nonprofit that I used to serve on the board of a of a, a nonprofit that reunites siblings who are separated in foster care for a week of summer camp memories. It's called Camp to Belong. It's very near and dear to my heart. And um, they, but if you think about the, uh, the shareholders, the stakeholders in that, in that program, there are several. There are the kids who are being served, of course. Um, there are the foster and adoptive parents who may need education about the concept of sibling uh, reunification or sibling uh, rights. Um, there are the caseworkers. There is the state who is potentially paying for some of these programs. There are volunteers who are actually giving their time at the camps. There are donors who are supporting uh, the mission through financial, you know, time, treasure, talent kind of thing. There are sponsors who may donate a hundred backpacks for a summer camp in in one of our states. So that message to each of those audiences needs to be a little bit different because there are different calls to action for each of those, uh, each of those folks and different ways that they will respond to your story. Um, so knowing who those are and tailoring your story, uh, each, not in each and every case, but in, in strategic, um, ways will, better connect uh, your audience to your mission and they'll be more likely to engage these sort of overarching 90 second, you know, videos kind of sometimes make assumptions that not everybody knows about. And then you're kind of left as an audience wondering why was I just told that story or what, what did they want me to do as somebody who can only give, you know, 50 bucks a year or who can, you know, donate time, but doesn't have, you know, much treasure at the, at the moment. So, uh, tailoring those stories, understanding your audience and how they want to engage with your purpose, I think is, is really important. I totally agree. And I hadn't really considered that all the different audiences that if you're really going to effectively get your message out and then have an effective call to action and then get that action, and you're right, it doesn't need to be totally different. In fact, probably needs to be pretty similar, but it does need to be slightly nuanced to each one of those audiences. So, sorry, yeah. Santari. I was going to say, Troy, I really want to um, ask you about, so your, your, you know, your background in uh, major agencies. What kind of, because we've had folks from all different walks of life on the show to talk about some trends that are just seeing overall. Um, and I would love to know your thoughts on coming from a big, well-known agency, what you're seeing happening in this space uh, as it relates to nonprofits or not. So what are some of the things that will happen in the next three to five years from an ad agency perspective? 
Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, I think there's sort of different, uh, there's different ways to answer this question at a very, very high level. I think we're, you know, if we're talking the industry first, and this is not unique to nonprofits, but it's certainly going to affect them first is I think the, the larger agency model, um, is getting more and more difficult to, to, uh, work because, um, we are moving sort of as an, an economy to a, a gig, a gig economy where, People are doing their thing really, really well, and then partnering with other, you know, uh, organizations or or individuals who do their the thing very well. And there's um, sort of this, you know, bootstrapping uh, uh, movement, if you will, where uh, large agencies that have overhead and um, you know lots lots of uh, clients to juggle um, may may struggle with the ability to deliver. Uh, great work to a large number of nonprofits. I mean, every there there are a lot of good agencies in town. I, I'm fortunate to over the last 14 years to know most of them. Really great people, and they each have their uh, sort of passion projects. And God love them um, for that. There's just there's 21,000 nonprofits in the state of Arizona, and you know collectively have a 22 billion dollar impact on the state. Um, and there's just <laughs> not enough big agencies with um, enough pro bono sort of slack to to take on all those. So we're going to continue to see that. I think in the from a storytelling perspective, getting a little more granular as to the things that I've seen change. You know, in back in the you know back in the day, so to speak, uh, it was TV commercials to show or tell your product uh, to tell about or show your products and, you know, give a call to action basically to buy it. Um, we moved, we've been moving into and have moved into storytelling where it's more about short sharing your stories. But I think there's even another stage to that. And there's uh, a couple creative directors, uh, I think out of New York and sapient nitro is the name of the company, um, that these guys worked at, but they actually uh, wrote a book recently called Storyscaping, where it goes beyond storytelling. And it's really about organizations sharing their purpose using storytelling in ways that understand and map to the ways your customer customers engage with your brand. So it's it's not just about telling the story, but it's about meeting your your customers where they are, not just with the, the channels um, uh, where they are online, uh, but uh, as well as offline experiences. Cause I think Centauri, as you mentioned, we're craving more sort of authenticity and there's a, you know, that's why we're going back to books and the written word. But, um, I think storyscaping is really about using, matching the stories to, uh, that tell your purpose and mapping that to the way your customers want to engage um, with your brand for emotional or, you know, purely transactional experiences. But um, I th that's where it's going. So um, I think nonprofits to understand that because no, I mean, there's usually a great mission behind uh, the reason for a nonprofit, um, sometimes more than, than for-profit, you know, brands, consumer packaged goods, whatever, um, you know, those types of industries, there's usually a really, really strong story with a nonprofit. So that's why this, you know, storyscaping uh, movement is, is really important for them to connect with. Nice. So I certainly hope that every nonprofit and purpose-driven organization has the resources to be able to engage with a professional, but not all of them will. So how would you counsel 
any organization that maybe isn't going to engage directly with an organization or company like yours to start this process on their own of getting their story a little better. Oh, I'm sorry, George. I lost you a little bit there. I missed part of the question. Just how would you counsel an organization to, to get started um, putting together their, their story? Um, that's a, a great question. I mean, I've been in the, I've been doing this a long time. I typically, when, if we're starting fresh and in, in fact, it, I'm working with a company right now that's about to start their own foundation and, um, they, they know the sort of what sectors they want to serve and how they're going to fund it. Um, but connecting with their audiences and, and explaining the why, uh, because they've done a lot of nonprofit support, um, in the past, you know, financial giving, um, some in-kind services or, uh, product donations, but they want to really own, um, the, the message in a new way. And so, um, they, they said, we don't, we don't know how to do that. And so I typically take them through, walk them through a question. It starts with a questionnaire, uh, that just kind of covers the W's. So it's not, it, this isn't like proprietary. I love, I love, there's always, you know, uh, big agencies and, and consultants will have sort of, uh, these proprietary systems that walk through it, but it, at its core, uh, you know, we're talking about sort of marrying the creative brief uh, uh, information, which is the W's, the, you know, who are we talking to? Why, why does it matter? What are we trying to say? What do we want people to do? Um, and then kind of taking some pages out of the, you know, the hero's journey, right. The, in storytelling of, um, you know, establishing, uh, you know, sort of where the baseline is and, and then, uh, you know, posing a problem and, showing what would happen if we don't act or if we don't do this thing or this um, uh, provide this service and then show what we are able to do and how you can you can join us. So it's really just marrying those two. Um, and those things can be as simple as, uh, you know, questionnaire and conversation and can be as dynamic um, uh, and, and a, a, you know, more fully immersive uh, experience where we, we bring key stakeholders in and we put post-its and, and, you know, marker up the walls all over the, the meeting and say, if we were a celebrity, who would it be? I mean, it sounds sort of like uh, expected, but that, those things really help because you, you know, sometimes it's, it's something, it's a little fun exercise that will pull out a real nugget of, yes, that's exactly who we are. I've never heard it described that way, but that's tapping into, you know, into what's really at the heart. I mean, going back to that example of Camp to Belong that reunites siblings separated through uh, uh, in foster care uh, for a week of summer camp memories, it was started by uh, a woman who, uh, when she was a little girl, found out at age uh, nine or 10 that she was not an only child of her uh, parents, that they had actually adopted her and her sister was living across town, um, which even though it was a 15 minute drive might as well have been 1500 miles. Right, and, right. and, and she had to come to terms with not only was she an only child, this was not, these were not her, uh, you know, uh, natural parents. And that for whatever reason she had been separated by, um, by her, uh, from her sister. And it took years for her to accept that sister well into their, uh, college years. And then when they finally connected and realized the bond that they shared, 
they, they recognized all the time they had lost. Um, you know, the, the sibling bond is the oldest one we'll, we'll likely have in our lives. We'll outlive our parents. We'll outlive, we'll know our brothers and sisters longer than we know our spouses. And they're the ones that are at every, uh, function, birthday parties, graduations, uh, anniversaries. So, um, to not have that. And so the story at the heart of it, if the 30 second speech is, you know, imagine your brother or sister or someone who is like a brother or sister to you and all of the great experiences that you had or all the moments you shared together. Now imagine not having that person around for any of your, you know, future, uh, events or if they were never there at all. Um, and I think anyone can identify with that because we, at least even if we're only a child, we have a best friend that we was like a brother or sister and you immediately connect with how valuable the sibling bond is. And so the organization not only justifies why do a summer camp, but it actually become, fortunately, uh, as part of their mission, they become advocates for siblings' rights. So they, they lobby and advocate year round to, to essentially if they do their job well, remove the need for a camp at all, because we've, you know, as I said, I always said on the board, if we do our job really well, we end the nonprofit because, um, we don't have to reunite siblings at summer camp because they don't get separated in the first place. Got it. I love it. Thank you for sharing that. Um, well, Troy, where can people find out more about you and Narwhal? Uh, we will be online very soon. Uh, we are still developing the website. Just registered the name last week, actually. So, uh, But it will be narwhalstories.com. Uh, that is like narwhale without the E. So it's N-A-R-W-H-A-L stories.com. And uh, hopefully we'll be, we'll be out and about and you'll be seeing our work um, on, uh, on uh, websites and uh, TVs and uh, devices near you soon. That's awesome. Excellent. And the final question, knowing right. the whole world would hear it, what plea would you make? Uh, well, I was, uh, I always go back to uh, one of my favorite uh, individuals, Marion Wright Edelman. She was the president of, uh, is the president of Children's Defense Fund. She spoke at my college graduation and uh, she said something that's near and dear to my heart and uh, has really guided me in all the, uh, the work I've done. Um, and, and that is service is the rent we pay for being. It is the very purpose of life and not something you do in your spare time. And so my plea to the world would be that we consider that thoughtfully and think about service is not something um, we are privileged to do when it's convenient for us to do it, but it is the very uh, mission and reason we are on this earth. So um, that's my plea is find your thing and and uh and participate i love it that is powerful stuff Satari, what have we forgotten to talk about sir answered all my questions thanks again troy thank you guys i really appreciate it um it's been great uh connecting with you both and uh i look forward to to more collaborations in the future excellent well if you like what you hear please subscribe to the show check out Check out Troy's information. In the meantime, you can just Google him and you can find some information online as well until Narwhal Stories gets active. And as always, keep questioning because the struggle is real.